The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Be seated, please. So there are three words that define our life together here at Trinity, faith, family, and future. And over the last couple of years, we've looked at first the word faith, and we looked at the word family, and it is time to look at that final word, future. And that's what our theme this year is all about. And you can see that theme on the board up there, future-focused. And it's based on Jeremiah 29, that first reading. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope. Which among Christians is a very popular verse. If you go over to Hobby Lobby, you find it on crafts all over the place. Very popular verse among us. But do we really think this? Or is it something more like, I know the plans that I have, and I hope that in the future God makes them happen. I mean, God's plans are great as long as they go along with my plans. I want to start this morning by doing a little bit of history behind this verse. When you look at the Old Testament, there are really two very difficult, truly dark low points in the history of God's people in the Old Testament. The first, of course, is when they are slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh, but God rescues them through the hand of Moses, and he brings them into the promised land. That's the first one. 400 years after that, about 400 years after that, which we're looking at about 1,000 years before Jesus... God established his kingdom through King David and, of course, his son Solomon. After them, though, things begin to sort of disintegrate. The kingdom divides into the north kingdom and the south kingdom, and eventually it all falls apart because of this. God's people don't want God. They want what the nations around them want, have. See, the thing is, if you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to be different. And they didn't want to be different. Quite honestly, when they looked at the nations around them, it was just more appealing. It looked like more fun. It would be more pleasure. So they pursued that plan. And as God often does, he says, okay, you can have what you want. They didn't want him. They wanted what the pagan nations had. So God sends in the pagan nations to rule over them. And the pagans... Well, the pagans acted like pagans. They ruthlessly and they mercilessly slaughtered God's people and they destroyed the homeland. 
In the year 722 BC, the Assyrians come and destroy that northern kingdom. And then in, this, in, in really two consecutive knockout punches, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come, and they are going to destroy that southern kingdom. The first punch comes in 597 BC. Jerusalem, the capital, is plundered. And of those who weren't killed, many of the rest were taken away as prisoner. They become exiles, and they have to go live in the city of Babylon. Ten years later, the Babylonians come, and they deliver that final knockout punch. This time, they decimate the city. They tear down the wall that protects Jerusalem. And of course, they, just, they raise down, they, they destroy the temple where God was worshipped. But it was after that first punch in 597 that God spoke this promise to the exiles in Babylon. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. God was telling them, look, you're going to be here for a while. Seventy years, in fact. And you just need to be patient and wait it out. You need to live your life. You need to get married, have a family, raise that family. But at the same time, as we heard in that, just that beautiful haunting psalm that we sang, Psalm 137, at the same time, God says, never forget Jerusalem. Never forget your home because, see, eventually I am going to take you home, says the Lord. I've got plans for you. I've got, I'm giving you a future and a hope. It's not going to be Babylon forever. But meanwhile, this was a real tension. I mean, how does one live in a foreign, hostile, enemy, oppressive land and prosper? And even seek the welfare of the enemy that did all of this to you. And all the while, never forget, never lose hope of where your true home is. But you see, if you think about it, that is really a very good picture of our own lives. This is how we should hear the Jeremiah 29 promise. Jerusalem is more than a city in the Middle East. In the Scriptures, Jerusalem symbolizes heaven, the place where God dwells. It's why in the New Testament, it talks about the new Jerusalem that is coming. Jerusalem is our home, our true home, where we will live forever with God and with His friends, the saints. Jerusalem is our eternal future. Jerusalem is our hope. Jerusalem is God's plan for us. But we live in Babylon right now. And Babylon is a world that is powerful and prosperous, and in many ways it is very attractive. But it's also a place where we don't belong. We are exiles. We're different. Babylon is a world and a society that conflicts with who we are as Christians, and it is becoming increasingly hostile to what we believe. It taunts us and then becomes angry and even hate-filled towards us when we don't conform to the ways of Babylon. Everything in Babylon is permissible, except for one thing. Our culture will not permit everything not being permissible if that makes sense. And we as Christians say, you know, there are some things that aren't good for us that should not be permitted. And as everything is now disintegrating around, down around us in this culture of ours, we could make one of two mistakes. The first one is that we could say, well, we'll just become Babylonians. 
We'll forget about Jerusalem, our true home and our future. We'll take the now. We will just assimilate into the culture that is around us. We will adopt their views and their value system. We will pursue their goals. We will live their lifestyle. Hey, the original Babylon was amazing. Amazing. It was filled with beauty and power and wealth and pleasure. So is the American Babylon. It's easy to get comfy in Babylon. It's easy to become a Babylonian. But the second mistake we could make is to try to have Jerusalem in Babylon. And what I mean by this is trying to create sort of a Jerusalem ghetto in Babylon. Quarter ourselves off, isolate ourselves, and therefore insulate ourselves from what's going on in the culture. You know what? They can all just go to hell. We don't care as long as they leave us alone. And here's the problem with that. They're not going to leave us alone. They are going to insist that we accept and we tolerate and we conform. But more importantly, more important than that, is that isolation is not our calling. The only real option that we have, the third option then, is that we have to be Jerusalemites who live in Babylon. To live our faith and to raise our families while focusing on our future. This is not our home. We are on the journey home. And so therefore, we are strange people living in a strange land. We don't belong here, and we shouldn't act like we do. And that's uncomfortable. It causes a lot of tension. But friends, it's time for us to wake up and face the facts. Most, if not all, of American value system, at least today's American value system, is not the Christian value system. No political party is the party of Jesus. The killing of an innocent child in the womb will never be our values, ever. This dehumanizing materialism that everyone's racing to accumulate and to hoard rather than to be generous and compassionate, where we value things and money over people, those will never be our values. Pursuing your own sexual pleasure, however you want to define that, which by the way means that you are always going to be using another person, whether it's pornography or any sexual relationship out of the self-giving, life-giving marriage of one man and one woman, or even in marriage if you are using your spouse for your sexual gratification. Any, all, none of that. Those are not our values. They never will be. We are for life, always for life. And we are for love, true love, the virtue of love. Do not let this culture of ours hijack the word love from us, friends, and say, well, it's all love. No, the true virtue of love is to mean a sincere and complete gift of yourself. I'm going to give myself completely for your sake. My love for you is that I want what is good for you, truly good. We, to say it simply, we live for Jesus. We cannot be Babylonians. We must be Jerusalemites. And we're going to probably 
We already are. We are going to suffer for that. We may lose our jobs or our businesses, our property or our tax status. We may even eventually lose our lives for it. But we must be Jerusalemites. Not just for ourselves, but in the irony of all ironies, we have to be Jerusalemites for the sake of the Babylonians. We must give a true witness of our true home, Jerusalem. We must sing the songs of our homeland, of where we're going, and we must do it beautifully and compellingly and lovingly. We must invite the Babylonians to go with us to Jerusalem because whether they know it or not, Jerusalem is their true home too. That is precisely the point of the Jeremiah 29 promise. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope. It is not about our plans, hoping that God will make my plans happen in the future. It is about His plan and His future for us and for everyone that then gives us hope and shapes our plans. We've got to stop making plans for how we want to pass the time in Babylon and then ask God to bless that. We need to start asking God about His plans for us. That's what it means for us to be future-focused. And this is what we must do together as a Trinity family as we think about this ministry God has entrusted to us. And we started doing that a few months ago when we did these 2020 vision meetings, talking about where is the Lord leading us now as we go into the 2020s? What is Jesus leading us to do? How can we expand his work and his presence in our own little neck of the woods here in Babylon? How can we show everyone we meet the way home to Jerusalem? We have to ask the Holy Spirit to bring Trinity's future into clearer focus. Now, in the immediate future, we're discussing this proposed generosity initiative or generosity journey. And hopefully you've had a chance to read about it at noon today when we have our congregational meeting. We're going to talk more about it, and we're going to vote on taking that journey together next weekend. But I wanted to share this about it for this morning. This is not a fundraiser for the church. It is a journey together of how we can become more generous people in every aspect of our lives which of course then includes how we can resource and expand our ministry at Trinity. But, but it's everything. We want to be different as we live in Babylon. We want to be like the absolutely ridiculously generous God that we worship and show the world what he is like and be like him. Because this is not our home. Jerusalem is our home. So in our mind and in our attitudes, we might as well be generous and spend what we have for the sake of the future. But that's why this journey of being future-focused, this whole year that we're going to take together, has got to be extremely personal. Each of us has got to ask ourselves, Lord, what are your plans for my eternal future? And how do I then take my entire life and bring it into alignment with that plan? Not what do I want to do. Lord, what are your plans for me? What are your plans for my career or for my retirement? What are your plans for college? What are your plans for my family, for my marriage, for my children, for my church? I want to finish this morning by talking to the parents that are here this morning. Because 
Again, schools everywhere. We're starting Wednesday here. Schools everywhere have either started or will start very soon. And I want to ask every parent here who is actively raising their kids right now a point-blank question. Are you raising a Babylonian or a Jerusalemite? Now, of course, we all say we want to raise a Jerusalemite. But I am challenging you to take inventory of what you're really doing in your life, in your daily life, not just when you show up in church on Sunday. What are you really doing? I mean, does church just sort of fit, you know, as long as it fits into our plans, you know, we don't have anything else going on, then we'll show up for worship. Or, or, you know, we're so busy that we, we never have time to sit down and have family devotions. Or we're so occupied with all of our devices and our, the things that we're, you know, just distracting ourselves with, we never sit down and have serious conversation about the things that really matter the most in this world. If we do all of those things, how do we expect our children to find their way home to Jerusalem? The statistics are awful. Do you realize now a quarter of Americans, 25% of Americans, consider their religious affiliation to be a nun? And I'm not talking about, you know, the women who wear the black robes and, you know, live in a convent. Nuns, N-O-N-E, nuns. They have no religious affiliation. Here's what's really astonishing. When you get to 30 and under, it goes up to 40% of Americans are nuns. The Babylonians are stealing our children. We should be winning their children. But I know how hard this is because I am in the thick of it myself. What is it going to be? Are are, are we going to be occupied with the things of the now, making our children successful now for this world, Or is everything we're going to do as parents going to point them to their eternal destiny? And it's really, really difficult. The best things we have going for us are this. First of all, we have God's promise. I have plans for you and for your children to give them a hope and a future. And second, we have each other. God has given us this Trinity family that stands with us and supports us. And I, for one, as a a parent... I'm so thankful for that. I am so thankful for the people sitting in this section and what they have given to my children and to all the children in this parish who I think of as my children, as their spiritual father. So here's what I want to do, and this will be a little embarrassing just for a second. I want to ask every parent here who is actively parenting, I mean all the way up, like even you got college-age kids, if you would just please stand for a moment. Every parent that's here. And now, if your children, if, you, if kids, if you're sitting there with your mom and dad by chance, I want you to reach over somehow and grab their hand and hold on to it. Stay where you're seated, but sit there. And here's what I want the rest of us to do, is to look around. And I'd like you right now, if they're close to you, you can reach out, stand up and reach out. If they're not, you may need to get up, get out of your little pew that you always sit in, your comfort zone. I want you to get up and find a family and put your hand on their shoulder so that we can pray for them. Would you do that now? I know this is not what we normally do on Sunday, but please, you know, get up, embarrass yourself, get up, find a family. Put your hand on their shoulders so that they can know we're all in this together and now we're going to pray. Thank you for doing this.
Father, we thank you for our families. We ask that you would bless our families, Lord, that you would once again remind us of our true home, that you bless every parent here and remind them of their holy and sacred calling to bring their children, to point their children home to their true home in Jerusalem. I ask, Lord, that you forgive me and you forgive all of us as parents when we get so distracted with so many other things. I pray that you would renew our hearts and our minds and draw us ever closer to you. Father, I pray that you would protect our children with your angels and with your holy word, that you would make them strong, faithful disciples of Jesus, able to stand up in this hostile culture of ours, and then not just to fight, but to give witness and to speak the truth, to speak beauty and speak goodness into the world all around us. I pray that you protect them, remind them of who they really are in you. And finally, Lord, I thank you for this church, for this family of, called Trinity that so beautifully surrounds and, and helps all of our families as it has done for generations. May we even be bolder in that mission. May we work harder. May we offer ourselves more willingly for the sake of the next generation and the many to come. Lord, we offer all of this up in the name of Jesus who protects us, who has saved us, and who promises us a hope and a future. We ask it in his name. Amen.